Alright guys, how cool is this, huh? I feel, I feel like we're the underground church in some closed country like China, and this is all secret, and we could all get busted at any time and get taken to jail or executed or something like that, because that is happening all over the world, and people actually do have to meet in really small places in secret like this just to praise God together. So yeah, this is kind of like a, a little taste of that. This is really killing me trying to see you guys. I can see Vanessa. I can see a few of you guys. Is that Kyle with the headlamp? I'll remember the headlamp. So I wanted to talk tonight about getting real with God. Russ started with talking about getting real with yourself. It good? I mean, it's kind of a hard thing to talk about, but it's so needed. It falls into the category of the big questions that people don't like to ask. People really don't like to ask things like, what's going to happen when I die? Or, why am I really here on this planet? Some people think of those, but a lot of people really just try to avoid those. If you ask those to ten people on campus, probably nine out of ten will tell you, whoa, that's pretty deep. They're afraid to think of these questions often. So when Russ talked about getting real with yourself, it's kind of a topic that demands attention, doesn't it? Because it really forces you to think through, where do I need to get real? Or where do I need to change? So transitioning, we wanted to talk about getting real with God. And I wanted to start by just saying, if you're a believer, if you've put your trust in Christ, this might be a little challenging tonight. Bear with me. It is in love, and I'm saying it as much to myself as I am to anyone else. But my hope is that as you leave this retreat, that you'd walk away with a conviction for the rest of your life that I'm going to live for God and no one else. This is all or nothing. I'm not going halfway. I think if even half of you guys walked away with that determination, it'd be well worth it. So take it the right way. It's not personal, I promise. I don't know any of your dirty secrets. A lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, he must have said that because of me. No, it's not because of you. This is just between you and God. So really see it that way. And I think it's kind of neat that we have the candles and no lights. Guys, take this as just a time between you and God. Most of what I'm going to share is straight out of his word. So just take it like you and him. Okay, if you have not yet put your trust in Christ, two things. One, it is a little strong, but... Not for you. For the people that have put their trust in Christ, because hypocrisy is lame. And when we talk about getting real with God, the opposite of that is not getting real with God. And there are too many people that call themselves Christians that don't ever get real with God. And that is why most non-Christians say they don't ever want to become Christians, because they've seen that too much. So don't take that the wrong way. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, just realize that it's a big deal. And I wanted to say, if you don't yet have a relationship with Christ, the biggest way that you can get real with God is to investigate that relationship with Christ and see what that really means. If you want to know about Jesus, ask somebody that you think would know how to explain that to you sometime before you leave, because there's no greater way that you can get real with God. So what is a life that's real with God look like, guys? I wanted to start out with this, because this is just amazing. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you in here right now have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? I mean, honestly, guys, have you had those times where you realize nothing in this earth compares with Jesus? Where you've been, maybe it wasn't emotional, maybe it was emotional, I don't know. I don't know how you're wired. But where you were convinced that there was nothing greater in life than your fellowship with God. Have you had those times? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember in John 4 and in John 7, Jesus said that he would meet our deepest needs in a way that nobody else could. Life in Him, and life with Him, guys, where we're real with Him, is the most satisfying thing any of us will ever experience on this planet. I promise you. I love being married. I love having a baby girl. 
They're great things. I love shooting elk. I love snowboarding. I love hanging out with all you guys. But you guys, none of it compares with my time with Jesus every single morning. None of it compares with the relationship that I have with him. Because he is everything, guys. Psalm 63.3, David, King David said, Your steadfast love is better than life. Better than life. See, he knew that God was good. He tasted and he'd seen. And he could say, your love, God, is better than even life. He was a guy that got real with God. He was very real. You guys, he sinned like crazy. He did some really stupid stuff. Probably worse than anything any of you have ever done. And he gave it to God. And he accepted God's forgiveness. And then he was able to say, God, your love is better than life. It's better than anything I've ever experienced. There's nothing in this life that compares with him, guys. Jeremiah 30, 21, knowing that, God asks, who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? And as we think about this topic about getting real with God, I want you to think through that question. Are you willing to devote yourself to be close to God? The Bible's real clear about not making quick decisions or not making quick commitments. So think that through. Are you willing to devote yourself to be close to God? And what does it entail to be close to him? Psalm 119.58 says, I have sought your face with all my heart. That was David again. See, he understood, again, what it meant to devote himself to be close to God, to where he could say, I have sought you with all my heart. See, I don't think I can say that, guys. I have sought God with all my heart. I don't think I can say that. So I know there's room for me to get real with God, right? Because I know that there's something lacking. I know that maybe I've sought him at times with 80 or 90%, and I've sought him at other times with much less. I don't think I could ever say I've sought him with all my heart, every single bit of me. And so there's this room for me to get real with God and to say, God, I need to seek you with all my heart. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the only thing in life that matters. It's the only thing in life that satisfies. Do you want to be happy? I think happiness is kind of a subjective term. But do you truly want to be satisfied in this life? It's only found in Christ. That's what he said. And it's so true. So, knowing that, guys, Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And that was something that I wanted to start out with also, is saying, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Sincerity is important. Sometimes I can kind of casually draw near to God. Ah, you know, I'll flick open my Bible today. How many of you guys have done that? I've done that, right? Yeah, I'll read a couple chapters. I'll read the Proverbs for the day, or maybe I'll pray. That's casually, almost flippantly drawing near to God. And what we're told to do in Hebrews 10 is draw near to God with a sincere heart, with everything in me. This is what David did, seeking God with everything in me. right? And it says, in full assurance of faith. See, I can come to God with full assurance. You guys, as soon as you accept his forgiveness, you have full security in him. You have full assurance in him. There's nothing separating you from him. So you can draw near with that full assurance. And then what's our theme verse, guys? James 4, 8. Somebody say it. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's exactly true. So why don't we? That's what I want to challenge you guys with tonight, is why don't we? There are reasons that we don't. And I think it goes back to getting real with God. We're too much our own. We're too much who we want to be. And it's time for each of us to do a little introspection and to say, now's the time for me to really get real with God and to look at where my walk with God really is not just a function of how long I've been a Christian. A lot of people think, you know, I grew up in a church, I've been a Christian all my life, so that equals maturity. That does not equal maturity. I've seen people in Nepal that have been a Christian for one year that have led their entire village to Christ, whose houses have been burned down and they've been beaten nearly to death because of the choice they made for Christ. 
And I think that there's a lot more depth there than there is in a lot of pastors that have lived their entire life as Christians here in this country. Guys, we need to get real with God. We need to get real with God. So here's how God phrased it. This isn't just an idea. You know, the Bible doesn't use the word, hey, get real with God, okay? I don't think there's any verse that says that. Actually, I promise you there's no verse that says that. But God desires that. And this is how God said it to Job. In the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 3, he said, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. How's that for cool? So God came to Job, really, and he said, You know what, Job? It's time for you to get real with me. No more playing around. Brace yourself like a man, and we're going to have a discussion. We're going to talk. Okay, that's how God put it. And that's kind of what I wanted to start with tonight, is let's take God up on his offer and see what it means to really get real with him and to take that next step. Okay, now here are some of the hard verses. And I'm going to keep this kind of short because I don't want to have discussion groups tonight, but I want each of you guys to be able to just get along for 20, 30 minutes and you make the decision yourself where you need to go with God, what your next step is. I don't know what that is for you, but you know what it is. So I want you to have that ability to just not get in some group or something, but just to focus between you and God. So as you think about that, here are a few really good verses that are also kind of hard. In Isaiah 29:13, in Jeremiah 12:2, in Matthew 15, 8, and in Mark 7, 6, it says this four times. God says, are you guys trying to write those down? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In the dark, you guys are awesome by candlelight. Isaiah 29, 13, Jeremiah 12, 2, Matthew 15, 8, and Mark 7, 6. Each of those verses says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What it's describing there is people that say all the right Christian words and do all the right Christian things, but in reality there's not much there. It's just almost like a facade or a shell or a show that people can see. And I know all of you guys know people like this, and you probably agree you don't like them, right? That is the challenge here where God says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, these people are not real with God. There's something lacking. In 1 John 3.18, we're told, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. See, when we love with words and tongue, but not with our life, that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. And that's not cool. We see too much of that. It says, let us not love with words and tongue, but in action and in truth. Let's be real with God. Let's let our lives live out what we're saying and what we're talking about. Let's let our lives show what we believe. Isaiah 57.11. I highlighted this years ago when I was probably about 16 years old in my Bible. And I wrote a note next to it just saying, God, please don't let this be true of me. It says, whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me? Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me? And have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your hearts. And I think too often that really describes me. I'll be false to God. I won't remember him. I won't ponder any of that in my heart. I don't sit and think, hmm, why don't I give God the time of day? Why doesn't God have importance in my life the way he should? It's almost like, it never even comes to mind, right? Sometimes we just get doing our own lives and all this. And what God is saying here is, why in the world would you do that? I've given you your life. I've given you your salvation as a free gift. I desire friendship with you on a daily basis. I desire to bless you as my child. Why in the world would you turn your back on me and not even think about it, almost act like it's not even a big deal? See, in Revelation three fifteen through 16, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. 
I wish you were either one or the other. And then he says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And this was the deal. He's saying, too often we're not hot or cold, guys, for God. Too often we just play this game where we say the right Christian stuff, but our lives don't show it. We turn our backs on God. We don't even think about it. We're not really either way for God, hot or cold. We're just kind of lukewarm. You know, I'll go to this Christian meeting. I'll go to that Christian meeting. But it's really just a bunch of meetings. We might as well go to a bunch of water polo meetings or something like that. It's not that big a deal if it's just meetings. You guys, I, I like Connect. I hope you guys like Connect, but it's just a meeting. If Connect is your walk with God, you've got a long way to go. I say that just because no meeting can ever take the place of God in your life. A hundred meetings cannot take the place of God in your life. God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants 100% of everything in you. He wants everything. And see, a lot of times we try to meet those needs by going to a meeting or by doing this thing or listening to a Christian CD or who knows what. And God says, you know, that's good. There's nothing wrong with Connect or there's nothing wrong with your church or there's nothing wrong with this. But that's just one very little small part. The real deal is me. Me. And that's what God wants. In Jeremiah 7.13, God says, While you were doing all these things, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. And that to me is so challenging because so often when I am going my own way, like it talked about in those other verses, God is sitting there every single day trying to get my attention. He's speaking to me, he says, over and over and over and over again. But I'm not listening, and I'm not answering. I'm kind of just focused on my own stuff. That's being fake. To say, I'm a Christian, and I love God, and I go to Christian meetings. But you know what? I'm not going to give God everything. I'm going to keep some for myself. And now here's what the Bible talks about in regard to that. And this is kind of hard. But it says, that's called idolatry. And idolatry is a big, long word. What it really means is just putting myself and any other thing above God. It's saying, you know, God, I'm more important than you, or something else is more important than you. When we're fake with God, that's idolatry. That's putting myself above God. In Exodus 23, this is the first of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. This is how big a deal it was to him. Because he knew that our hearts were so likely to just put anything and everything else above him. For me, it used to be snowboarding, guys. That was my idol. I snowboarded like crazy before I came to school. And Russ would probably agree that even my freshman year, it was still a bit of an idol. I wanted to get sponsored. You know why I wanted to get sponsored? Because it went back to my image. It was like, oh, Nate's the sponsored kid. It made me feel good about who I was. See, I don't need to find my identity in what I do. I need to find it in Christ and who he's made me. It's so much more significant than the things I do. But anyway, for me, snowboarding became an idol. I was kind of good at it. Not as good as a lot of people were, but I wanted to get better. So I rode like crazy. I mean, I, I snowboarded until I had injuries all over the place, guys. I was in Telluride for the entire year. I took a year off before coming to college. And I rode over 100 days that year. I'd be on the first lift up pretty much every day of the week. I'd be on the last lift up every day of the week. And every single run was in the snowboard park, just hitting big jumps, hoping to get good enough to get sponsored. I had injuries, and I just kept on riding anyway. It was really stupid. I had a compressed heel. It hurt to walk. But you know why I kept doing it and why I kept hurting myself? There was this issue. I felt like I needed to have this identity issue or this image of being sponsored. It was an idol in my life. And I remember God showed me that back in uh, 1997. 
as soon as God pointed it out, I realized that's true. This isn't idle. This is way bigger than it needs to be. And so that night, I gave it to God. I said, God, snowboarding is not nearly as important as you. And if you never want me to snowboard again, I never will snowboard again. It's yours. You can have it. I don't need it. I need you. I don't need snowboarding. That night, I seriously gave it to God. And I'm not kidding you. This doesn't always happen, but about 10 days to two weeks later, I was just in the ticket office. I was working one day. I sold lift tickets. And in comes this entire pro team with the team manager and owner and everybody, sales rep. I sold them all tickets. And then about two or three days later, I see them all on the mountain, and they recognized me. They said, hey, you're a local. We, you sold us tickets. Why don't you show us around the mountain? So I started riding with them. And at the end of two days, they sponsored me. And they ended up sponsoring me for like the next seven or eight years. What I'm saying, guys, is Matthew 6.33, remember that? It says, seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. See, when God is number one in our lives, not the idols that I'm so prone to build, then he can really bless me. But when I'm putting all these things above him for my own good, he really can't. Because it's training me to live my life not for him, but for me. And that's dangerous. That's what the Psalms say about idols. This is really good. Psalm 115, 3-8 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. Think about everything that you've ever put as valuable in your life. Even put it above God. Aren't they things that, that we've made with our own hands or our own minds? They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. Uh, they have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. So it's saying, look, the idols that we make, they look really cool, they look really flashy, but they're empty and they don't give us anything. And they can't do anything. Think of anything in your life that's ever held importance, that's ever been a priority. And I think you could say, in the long run, it did not fully satisfy the deepest yearnings of your soul. Right? And that's what it's saying here. These idols are not capable of satisfying us. They're not capable of meeting our needs. They're empty. And then it concludes with this, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And see, this, this is the thing. We, we start to put things as priorities in our life above God, and the more we do that, the more shallow we get, the more fake we get. Does that make sense? We've begun to become just like these idols that we build, pretty much meaningless and not very capable of anything. We start to lose it. We're not the people that God made us to be. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, flee from idolatry, guys. Flee from idolatry. Now, we're all eventually going to surrender to God. We all are eventually going to bend the knee. I don't know where you're at with God, whether you've never put your trust in God or whether you did 30 or 40 years ago. Whoever you are, at some point the Bible says you will bend your knee. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, at some point we're all going to get real with God. At some point we're all going to get real, and we're all going to be able to come to this place where we realize you're really Lord and I'm not. And that's the issue, guys, is God's lordship. A lot of us consider Christ our best friend. A lot of us consider Christ our Savior. But there's a whole dimension 
that we often forget. He's also our Lord. And by Lord, that means that He is in control of my life, not me anymore. Which means, I want to do X, but God says, forget it. Y is better. And He doesn't just say, forget it. Y is better, just to be a jerk. A lot of times, guys, sin is fun, right? Who is it? Mark, didn't you say that in your testimony? Sin is fun. Okay? But doesn't it kill us in the end? Sin kills us over time. It destroys us. See, he knows what's right for us, and we don't. Sometime we're all going to get real with God. Sometime we're all going to come to a point where we really put him in his rightful place of lordship in our lives. And when he says, this is right for you, it means that he designed me, and he knows me, and he knows what is best for me. Like my baby over here, as she grows older, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of things she wants that will not be healthy for her, like knives and fire and things like that, right? Okay, now, I could say, no, Eliana, you're not allowed to touch that fire, or you're not allowed to touch that knife, okay? You're not allowed to pet that raccoon, but <laughs> or stick your finger in that squirrel cage Russ always uses to catch squirrels. She might think, what a jerk. You're not letting me have fun. That's often our attitude towards God. Why can't I do this? I want to do this. See, well, God's saying, you know what? I made you, I know you, and I know that that will hurt you. Even if it's fun for a little while, it is going to hurt you. It will. And see, when I come to this place where I get real with God, and I say, you know, you are my Savior, and I want to make that distinction here, you're not saved by what you do. You as a Christian are saved simply by accepting a free gift. But then the things that God says not to do, he does that for our own good guys. So when we get real with him, we're coming to him saying, you know what, I'm making you my Lord. In other words, you're in charge of every breath. Do any of you guys know Colby in here? He's on the football team. Somebody in here is bound to know him. I know Russ knows him. On his Facebook the other day, it said, willingly praising God with every single breath. Uh, that describes lordship. Every breath is directed towards him. Everything is towards him. Nothing is for me. And it's in that place where I experience life the way it was intended to be experienced, with the satisfaction and joy that comes only in Christ, because it is done, it is walked with him at the center. Okay? So we need to get real and quit fighting with God. So many times we know this, guys. We know that, that a life with Christ is satisfying, fulfilling, and it encompasses Every desire of my heart, the deepest yearnings of my soul are met in him. We understand that theoretically. I doubt any of you in here would argue that with me. But then we don't do that, right? Then we go our own way, and we do our own thing, and we turn our back on him to our own detriment, knowing that. We know it, but we still do it. And so there comes this point where we're wrestling with God. Have you ever felt like that, like I'm wrestling back and forth? When you break up tonight and just spend some time with God, I'm going to ask you to read Romans 7. Because I think it just so, and I'll tell you this later, but it so accurately describes our condition as humans and this struggle to get real with God. Because it's not easy. It is a struggle. But what I want to say is this. You're not the first person. In Genesis 32, it talks about a man named Jacob who wrestled with God. Literally wrestled with God. Now, now this is pretty crazy. I don't think God has come down and physically wrestled with anybody in this room. Okay. But Jacob wrestled with God, guys. He wrestled with him. He wrestled with him. He wrestled with him. He would not surrender. Until finally God had to physically harm him. He had to physically harm him in a way that would cause him to surrender. I know God is strong enough. He could have just won it right there off the bat. But I think Jacob had to fight this out with God. 
And sometimes it's the same for each of us. We have to go through this struggle to get to the point where we realize life really sucks without God. I think a lot of us here have gotten to that point and come to the conclusion that I need him more desperately today than ever before in my life. I don't know about you guys, but almost every morning that's my prayer. God, I need you more today than ever before because I am insufficient on my own. I cannot do this without you. So we can wrestle with God and come to that place where we say, you know what, I'm going to surrender to your lordship easily, or we can do it in the hard way. But we're going to get there eventually, just like Jacob did. And that's why 1 Peter 4.17 says, it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And it's not talking about judgment in regards to your salvation, because that's guaranteed based on a gift that you received. But it's saying it's time for us to get serious in our walks with God and to start really following Him. If He's our Lord, let's make Him our Lord and walk like it and live like it and surrender every single bit to Him, not leaving anything unsurrendered. And thankfully, Lamentations, how many of you guys have read Lamentations last week? <laughs> Leah. Well, recently. Recent, okay, Leah, good job. I haven't read Lamentations for like a year or two. But anyway, this verse is amazing. In 3.22-23, through 23, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. Here's the flip side of this message, guys. It says, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So His compassions, His mercy, guys, is new every single morning. So in this struggle that you're having in your life and that I'm having in my life, to surrender completely to Christ, to make Him Lord of every aspect of my life, in that struggle, remember, every single day, His mercies are new. You will screw up, and you know what? He will forgive you. And you'll screw up again, and He'll forgive you again. And you'll screw up again, and He'll forgive you again. He's not after perfection, guys. Jesus was already perfect. Thank God. Now I get to live my life in Him. So I don't need to be perfect. That's not, that's not the focus. It's human perfection. But perfection in Christ. Right? And so the deal here, guys, is we can live in His mercies every single day, realizing I'm striving to surrender everything to Him. And when I fall, I'm living in His mercy and realizing that I am forgiven. 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot disown Himself. So even when we fall and we're faithless, He is faithful still. And He never drops us. You guys remember in John 10, 27 and 28, where He says He holds you in the palm of His hand and no one can snatch you out. See, He does not drop you. You are secure in Him. In Revelation 3.19, Jesus Himself puts it this way, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So if He loves you, He will rebuke you and He will discipline you. But He's doing that because He loves you, because He wants to conform you to His character. 2 Corinthians 3.18 and so this is how it ends up. So be earnest and repent. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. How many of you guys love the word repent? Probably nobody in here. I, I hate that word. Okay. You know I hate that word? I was talking with uh, one of the new students last week that just became a Christian in the last couple of years. Actually, last year. And he tells me, I hate the word repent. And I said, you know what? I hate the word repent, too. And I said, you know what? I think you might hate the word repent, though. He said, Why? It's probably the same reason I do. Because for about 18 years, 20 years, I was told it meant something it didn't mean. I was told it meant quit screwing up and from now on do everything right. Isn't that kind of what we think repent means? Get your act together. That's not what it means. Repentance, guys, is when I come to God and I say, I'm changing my mind. 
Before I used to be going my way, now I'm simply saying, it's your way, God. See, it's this whole issue of lordship, of surrendering to him. It's not saying I'm going to be perfect forever. It's not saying I'm never going to sin again, because that would be impossible. And that's probably why a lot of people don't like that word, because they know they don't want to try to do something that's impossible. You feel like you're always failing. But see, that word is really beautiful when you know what it means. It means... I simply surrender to Christ and let him change me from the inside out. So Jesus again says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? First John 1 John 1.9, you guys remember this. So as I surrender to him and as I walk daily in his forgiveness, he completely cleanses me when I do fall. He completely forgives me and restores fellowship with him when I do fall. This is the security that I have in Christ. Psalm 103.12, again, is beautiful. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So when we do fall, guys, when we don't put him in his rightful place of authority and lordship, he removes that sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't even remember it. How far is the east from the west? It's a mathematical term, Chris. Infinite. They're infinitely far away, right? You cannot get farther than the east is from the west. God says, your sin, your sin, that's as far away from you as the east is from the west. And just a note there, if you haven't put your trust in Christ, that's what he wants to do. He wants to take your sin and throw it as far away from you as the east is from the west. I don't want to just throw a million verses at you guys, but I really want this to be straight from God tonight. I don't want it to be from me. I was talking to Linda before, and I said, it's funny, you know, usually I have a lot more notes and not just verse after verse. I said, I feel bad. I should have had more of my own opinions in this talk. But then, of course, that's a joke. It's kind of good when we can go right to God's word and see what he's saying to us. So take this directly from God. In Hebrews 2, 1, it says, We must pay more careful attention, i.e., get real with God, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. What it's saying there is let's pay attention. Let's get real with God. Let's stay focused on him, surrendering to his lordship, letting him be in charge, not me. So, it goes back to my heart. How many of you guys would say, this is just an action I have to do? Like, you could put down on your schedule, get real with God at 2 p.m. Tuesday. Right? That's not, that's not the level that this is at. This is at the level of my heart. This is at the level of my soul, my emotions, my mind. This is me, the real me. That's why it's so important that Russ talked about getting real with yourself this morning. Because that has to come first. This goes right to the core of who I am. And see, God, knowing that, speaks to the people, to his people Israel, in Jeremiah 4, 3 through 4, saying, break up your unplowed ground. So, in my heart, there are things that need to be broken up. There are idols that need to be crushed. He says, break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. And then get this, circumcise. There's another word I don't like so much. Exactly. And then he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. See, he's saying, in my heart, I have a lot of things that are very, very, very valuable to me. They've actually become too valuable, too important. They've become too high, and I've made them that high. And he's saying, you know what you need to do? You need to cut them off. You need to say, you're gone. And that kind of hurts. Have you guys ever... Turn your back on something that you held dear for a very long time. God's saying there are a few of those things that are going to need to get cut off your heart so that you can surrender completely to me. But it's going to be the best for you in the long run. 
because he promises you in Ezekiel 36, 26, get this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Guys, see, as I surrender those things and I let him cut off those parts of my heart that don't need to be there, those desires, those passions, those loves that are competing with him, as I let him remove those from me, he takes my heart that doesn't even know how to be real anymore, that doesn't even know how to feel anymore. How many of you guys have ever felt like, man, I don't even know who I am. I'm just in some game. I'm just in some rat race. He says, you know what, that heart of stone, I'm going to replace it with a real living heart of flesh that knows how to love, that knows how to have joy, that knows how to have hope, that knows how to have peace. Because that's who he made you to be, guys. And see, it's with that that we can obey the greatest commandment. And Russ shared this this morning. Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Guys, what's left out of that? Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I'm loving him with my heart, with all my emotions. I'm loving him with all my soul, my image, my personality. I'm loving him with all my mind, my intellect, the capacity he's given me to think, and I'm loving him with all my strength, my resources, my abilities, my talents. See, when I fully surrender to him, I'm able to love him that way. And I'm the one that, that gets the most out of it. I'm the one that gets the most out of it. In Philippians 3, 7, Paul put it this way, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ, guys. See, he had learned to love God this way, and he could say everything else in all of life, it's just a loss compared to that fellowship I have with Christ, that relationship I have with Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them rubbish or trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And see, that's what we're aiming for tonight, guys. That's what I'm hoping, that each of us will come away from this retreat saying, you know what, nothing in all of life compares to just knowing God. But see... To get to that point, there's a lot that needs to come off first. There's a lot of idols that need to get destroyed, and a lot of stuff that needs to get circumcised off my heart. But see, he's patient with me. He's patient. Second Peter 3.9 says he's patient with you. So be patient with yourself, too. And keep your eyes on him, okay? And keep following him. And make, it, make this your life focus and purpose. To get real with God in such a way that nothing else in all of life compares with him. I kind of want to encourage you that there should be no such thing as a halfway Christian. When you think of all that we've received, it'll blow your socks off, guys. There are people from every religion. There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. There's this guy, Haitham, that I met in Romania on our last summer project. He's from Tunisia. And we talked about Christ every day. He dreads hell every single day. It's all he can think about is Allah is going to send me to hell. This is all he can think about, and it scares him to just spitless. Okay? So he has a million different things he has to do to earn God's favor. And even then, he's still screwed, honestly, because he's done some things that he shouldn't do. Okay? You've got people in animistic cultures all over the world that are, doing, that are sacrificing all sorts of stuff and doing who knows what to please some rain god. Go through any religion you want. Go through Buddhism. Buddhists. I've been in Nepal and India and seen them. They're struggling and struggling and struggling to work through their sin. It's the whole foundation of Buddhism is struggling through your sin. You look at any religion and this is it. And then God comes to us and says, you know what, I give you a free gift. You can't work for it. And how could I not respond with everything? He's given me all I have. I am who I am because of him. 
Now, I just want to close with the last couple verses for all you guys that are writing a bunch of them. But it's interesting. It's kind of it's kind of unique because Paul, James, Peter, and Jude all got real with God. I wanted to leave them as an example. They got real with God, and God did a lot through their lives. That's why I'm talking about them right now. You know, if they never got real with God, I doubt we'd be mentioning them in this talk. They got real with God, and in Romans 1.1, you can remember these verses because they're all 1.1s. James 1.1, 2 Peter 1.1, and Jude 1.1. They all start saying and defining themselves as bondservants of Jesus Christ. They're saying, you know what? He is everything. He is everything and I am nothing. See, they got it. They got this lordship issue where they could say, you know what? You're Lord and I'm not. You're everything and I'm not. And so God was able to use them. So right now, nothing compares with getting real with God. But our natural flesh is going to try and fight it. It really will, right guys? I mean, that's how we all are. It tries to fight it. So what I want you to do tonight, for the next 20, 30 minutes, get alone with God. If you need longer, take longer. And really connect with God. Read Romans 7. And just think about what Paul's saying there. And especially think of the last two verses in that chapter. And what his answer to that is. Okay? And I want you to think through the issue of idolatry versus lordship. Think through what areas of your life you've put up above God. Where you've made him more important to you than God. It'll probably be kind of painful. But maybe God wants you to give those to him tonight. But maybe you need to take a few days. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. That's between you and God. But at least think through the issue. Okay? And then take the step that you need to take. Win your battle. Okay? Tonight, I want you to take the step you need to take. I don't know what that is again. You know what it is. So take that step with God. Just you and him. And I don't want this to be the type of thing where you make a decision and you go home tomorrow and you're so excited and then you forget it next week. I want this to be a core issue tonight that you'll look back and remember for the rest of your life. So get real with God. Okay, if you haven't yet trusted Christ, consider his claims tonight. Consider all he offers you. And if you haven't ever heard that presented to you or told to you, ask somebody because probably a lot of the people in this room would absolutely love to sit down and explain all Christ offers to you. And you can obviously talk to me too.